Welcome to the Girl Gang Craft Podcast, where we dive in deep to all things business, wellness, creativity, and activism for artists and entrepreneurs. We talk with impactful, female-driven companies and founders for an inside look at the entrepreneurial experience, where you'll come away with tangible steps to elevate your business. Are you ready? I'm your host, Phoebe Sherman, founder of Girl Gang Craft, artist and designer and marketing obsessed. We're here to learn together how to expand our revenue, implement new organizational techniques, and cultivate best business practices as we work towards creating a life doing what we love. Let's get started. I want to talk about our new and exciting offer we've just launched. Introducing the click. So the click is our new space for creatives. There are two paths for the click, the click membership and the click agency. The number one question we get in our DMs and in our emails is how do we join your community? And here we finally have the answer. You are right for the click if you are a creative entrepreneur. This means you own your own business or you are ready to turn your hobby into a side hustle or your side hustle into a business. In the click membership, you will connect with other small business owners plus join member exclusive workshops, presentations, and have access to special discounts and business guides. In the click agency, you'll be featured on our small business directory, which is located on our site. You'll be featured on our stories with a swipe up to your website and our feed with options to be shouted out here on our podcast. And you can even opt in to host a giveaway with us. We will have two sessions to apply to the click agency and be on the GGC small business directory. Everyone is invited into the membership. The click agency is application based. We will be selecting polished and established brands to be featured on our hyper curated directory. So each quarter in the click membership, we will have tons of fun and educational activations. Each quarter, we will have a tech demo, a mini workshop with me and a guest lecturer plus access to our worksheets, like our Manifest Money Worksheet, which is super cool, talks about reviewing, goes through reviewing all of your revenue streams and where you could make some adjustments, plus some personal budgeting techniques, plus sprinkled with just a little bit of magic. First quarter, we will be diving into Adobe Spark, learning about productivity and weekly scheduling techniques, and Lysandra Vasquez will be coming in to talk about utilizing TikTok and Reels for your business. Plus, get an all-access pass to the Click chat room where you can connect with creatives from your niche and also find professionals from other niches to collaborate. So let's say you're a product-based biz and you find your next photographer. I am personally so, so, so excited to be in community with you all. I am just not quite sure if we are going to have events in 2021. Believe me, I want to so bad. I miss real-life events, but I am so energized about this offering a space where we can learn together, flourish, connect, exchange, and collaborate. So head to girlgamecraft.com slash click. Check out both the Click membership and the Click agency. So that's Click, C-L-I-Q-U-E. So yeah, based on the girl group, right? We wanted a little bit of 90s vibe to it. We're going to be an inclusive click. We're going to dismantle any ideas about exclusivity or bad vibes. We are good vibe click over here, inclusive, a space to collaborate. If you sign up for click membership and you get accepted into the agency, you of course get a sweet discount. So really excited. Check out both the click membership and the click agency on our site. Hope to see you in the click chat room. Hello creatives. So excited to have you here today. We have my friend Kitia Pulaskis. And she is amazing. We were connected through Adobe Spark when we got put on a project together. We didn't know each other. And they were like, you two should have a project. And so we did this project for Adobe Spark. And now we're both Adobe Spark ambassadors. And I can't wait till we can have like a real in-person cocktail someday, (laughs) someday. But so Kitia Velasquez is an Australian craft-based designer, author, and speaker with a multidisciplinary practice. So she specializes in prop and installation design, content creation, illustration, and workshops, focusing primarily on using handmade techniques and traditional craft methods reimagined in contemporary ways. Her work is characterized by its bold colors and quirky themes and has spanned the retail, music, advertising, and publishing industries. Her clients have included Lego, Etsy, The Washington Post, Warner, 
Music, Amazon, Bailey Nelson, Frankie Magazine, and Lily Allen, among others. She is the author of Pinata Party, a DIY craft book available in Australia, the UK, and the US. Welcome to the podcast, Kitya. Thank you so much for having me, Phoebe. I'm so stoked to be here. Yay, so exciting. And this is our first time recording visually as well. So we're really excited to offer you all not only the podcast format, but a video which will be available somewhere, probably on our YouTube that we will, you know, implement. And we will offer some clips on our Instagram. So anyways, really excited to have you on excited for you to experiment with me. Yeah. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about what you do? Okay, well, I mean, I feel like the bio said everything I was just about to say. So now I have to on the fly change what I was going to say. So yes, as my bio said, I'm a craft-based designer. I came up with that term myself because what I do is very niche. And when I first started out 11 years ago now, there weren't that many other people doing what I was doing. So basically, which was producing handmade bespoke things that exist for commercial design clients. So up to that point, the commercial design world was filled with a lot of art directors, photographers, graphic designers, typographers, illustrators, but not so much people using craft techniques to build and make, hand make props and installations and things for big brand campaigns and photo shoots. So it was kind of new territory and there wasn't a job description. So I just came up with craft-based designer because I feel like I exist in between both of the worlds, so the craft world and the design world. So that's basically where that name came from. And I studied art, like fine art at school, and I always was super crafty. Like my parents are very creative and I loved craft. And even in art school where I went to university, I still used craft as the basis of everything that I was doing, even though technically I was a printmaker. Well, that's what I studied. And after uni, I I kind of wanted to get into the fashion industry. It was like the first year of Etsy. And I was really excited by the democratizing of the retail space online and being able to come up with your own online shop and be your own retail business really easily on Etsy. So I started my own fashion business. But the fashion industry is really not a world that I wanted to be part of in that high fashion kind of way. So I started assisting a stylist. I started, you know, just building. She she knew I was crafty. She'd get me to make all these props and installations and crafty things for her models to wear or hold during the shoots. And that's where I first started to get this inkling of this niche that I was kind of starting to exist in where I could work for brands and for stylists creating campaigns without being a stylist, without having to be a designer, without being an art director, I could offer this special service that was very bespoke and very new in the industry and give that handmade touch to sleek commercial design projects. And that's kind of how I formed this career or job for myself. I mean, obviously I made that sound very streamlined. There was a lot of muddling my way through, but essentially I bring a handmade touch to the campaigns of big brands and I work globally. I've worked for a lot of different international and local brands. I don't discriminate. I love working with big brands. I also love working with small local brands here in Melbourne and in Australia. So yeah, I do it all. And I also do a lot of content creation. It's easier to be a content creator now that there's a term content creator, but essentially I started out as a blogger. I had my own blog and I would make my own DIYs for that blog, but now I think that's called content creation. So yeah, that's a big part of what I do as well. Wait, I don't think we've talked about the fact that you studied printmaking in school. Because that's what I studied Yeah, I, I feel like yeah. I knew that about you. you. Did. Yeah, I studied printmaking and drawing. But if you ask me what I love about drawing or anything about drawing, I would tell you straight away that I don't know how to draw anything. So <laughs> I think I started drawing. I, I started this concept with myself of drawing with scissors. So basically using scissors as my drawing implement. I could cut anything you asked for out of paper and create it into a crafty paper craft project. But if you asked me to draw something with a pencil, I would just be lost. (laughs) Wow. So what kind of printmaking did you do in school? I love screen printing and that really lends itself well to, I guess, crafty end products. So I made a lot of soft sculpture as my graduating work with screen printed elements. And I also really love lithography, although it's not really a sustainable printmaking 
medium to get into when you're done with art school and you don't have access to giant slabs of stone and grinding down tools and print and printing presses and things like that. So I haven't really done that much since I graduated, which is sad. So fun grinding those rocks though. <laughs> our, um, our art <laughs> school. Time. Oh, so good. Such a good workout for the arms. Our art school was in this old high school, like this old 1920s, I think it was 20s or 30s building in Canberra, which is the capital city of Australia. And our grinding down room was in the old like boys' toilets. And it was such an old building. It was always so cold. And you know how you have to have running water running over the stone all the time when you're grinding it down? For those of you that aren't familiar, that's sort of the process to, I guess, lubricate the stone as you're grinding it down with different grains of sand. We would always just have our hands in water and it was winter and it was cold and it was drafty in this Hogwarts-esque boys' toilet. But it was I loved the process of how slow the process is to create a final print. And I really enjoyed that. Maybe that set me up for the long hours that I now endure when I'm making craft-based projects for people because, yeah, you really have to be in it for the long haul when handmade is your job because projects take a lot longer than they would if you were a graphic designer or a photographer. So your new logo design, this is a side, we'll come back to this, but your new logo design for your vintage side project was cut by scissors. Yeah. Yes. I did want to talk about that too. I've just launched a vintage side project because I don't already have like enough to do. I love just, I get these ideas. I get so passionate about them and I just have to see them through. Life's short. You just got to like follow your dreams. And if your dream is a vintage homeware side project, then by all means do it. But yeah, so I cut all those elements out of paper. And then I vectorized them in Illustrator and turned them into my logo. But interestingly, I also added a paper texture underneath. So it's it's such a weird roundabout process. It probably doesn't make sense to a lot of people, but I just love it. I start off cutting stuff out of paper. It ends up looking like paper, but it's not paper because it's in the computer. I don't know why. I feel like that's not very efficient, but anyway, I enjoy it. Wild. I mean, it creates such a cool, like vintage look too. So that kind of ties in well with the vintage stuff. Okay, well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, okay, well, here's a question. I don't have this down on the on the official list. But what is your favorite medium? Oh, it's so hard to answer that question. But I think, I mean, I guess what I'm most known for is paper craft, followed up closely by felt sculpture and felt collage. But I... Even though I work mostly in those two mediums in particular, I love all sorts of crafting. That's, I guess, just what I keep getting jobs for. So, you know, I do that a lot. But in my personal life, when I do get time to do crafting just for myself, I do a lot of embroidery and stitching. I'm really into, at the moment, I'm embroidering my wedding outfit. (laughs) It's a very, it's a very big job that I've given to myself, but I wanted to embroider this full 90s dress in fun motifs that represent me and my fiance so that I can wear it at the reception in our wedding. So I love embroidery. I also love beautiful. <laughs> well, we'll see if I actually get it done in time. When are you getting married? If everything goes to plan and COVID doesn't reemerge here in Australia in major ways, it will be November this year. But fingers crossed, I'm really not I'm open to the idea of it being cancelled because that's just the world these days. But yeah, I love embroidery. I also love upcycling things like furniture restoration to a point. I wouldn't say that I'm a furniture restorer, but I do love, you know, getting an old beach chair and using macrame to create the webbing and stuff like that instead of using what's already there. I enjoy revamping things outside like planter pots with paint and yeah, anything really. I like to be inspired by all sorts of different things, maybe to my detriment, but I'm always just, my brain's always off doing following its current train of inspiration, wherever that may lead. So yeah, how do you stay inspired? Where is like your biggest source of inspiration coming from normally? I try to find inspiration from things in the real world, because I think it's really easy. I'm going to sound really old here in our day and age of digital technology and social media to think that you're looking for inspiration as you're scrolling through Pinterest or scrolling through your Instagram feed, but really you're just absorbing the ideas of other people. And I know that's what inspiration is, but it's really hard when you want to then use your inspiration to create original work if the core inspiration came from somebody else's work because it starts to form this rehashing cycle where 
your work ends up looking like everything else on Pinterest, for example. And I especially find this with craft because Pinterest is a really great place to find craft ideas. So I am inspired by so many different things in the real world. For example, I love like thrift shopping. We call it op shopping here in Australia, opportunity. That's what op stands for. And I love like tacky bakeries, souvenirs, old signs on the sides of buildings. My fiance is a sign writer. So we both share this passion of like vintage signs, hand painted or otherwise. I love like colors and patterns that you can find just walking down the street. I get a lot of inspiration from flowers, the colors and the you know, the textures and patterns on flowers are really incredible to me. So, and also places that I visit, obviously all of this has been affected by COVID since I haven't been able to go more than five blocks from my house for most of the last year. So it's harder to find new inspiration when you just walk past the same things every day, as I'm sure a lot of us can attest to. But yeah, I try to turn outwards for the inspiration. I also get very inspired by my peers and other people on the internet, of course. How can you not? There's so many amazing people out there. But when it comes to me trying to stay original and authentic, I try to stick in the physical world rather than the digital world for where I source my ideas and inspiration. How do you take care of yourself outside of the art world? Is there anything like non-creative that you do for yourself to wind down or to fulfill you or to fuel you up? Definitely. That's really important to me, but it's, I have to admit something that like the self-care aspect of my life is something that I often let drop by the wayside when I'm in the midst of a work frenzy, as I'm sure we all do. Weirdly enough, I actually love weight training in the gym. We have a whole home gym that we invested in during COVID so that we could work out at home. And I love it because weight training I mean, apart from just being a really good workout, I know this is not a fitness podcast, so I'm not going to go on about this for too much, but for me, it's the one thing that really I feel is changing my body for the better, like getting it stronger and really good for my mental health because the workouts are really hard, but I hate the gym and I hate gym bros and, you know, that whole culture of everyone lifting weights in front of a mirror and, you know, like squatting down in front of a whole bunch of people. It's just not my vibe. So home workouts, I do a lot of home workouts and that's really good. I love nature. So when we can go out, I do love to just explore new botanical gardens and parks and bushwalks and things that I haven't seen before. I'm really inspired by succulents and cacti. So we have some gardens here. There's a really big one about three hours away from my home, which is like 11 hectares. I don't know what the conversion is of that in in your measurement, your weird measurements, but it's 11 hectares of cactus, like fully established cactus gardens. So some of the cactuses have been around for over 30 years and they're incredible. So I love doing that. And honestly, I do love a bit of just lying down in front of the TV with my cats watching my favorite trashy shows. I mean, I love Law and Order SVU. Any other Law and Order SVU fans out there come at me because I'm obsessed. I just, yeah, I love just switching off to the most trashiest show that I that I can find and escaping into somebody else's weird, dramatic, trashy world for a while. That's a few of the things that I try to do if I get time. Turning off the heater. That's why it beeped. I like weight training too. I really miss going into a gym actually, but I've been I've been managing here. I mean, we're sitting at our desk all day. We have to like move around and do things. Yeah, definitely. And like sweat and, a little. <laughs> yeah, the, I think it it just feels good when you've sweated off your day. Yeah. So let's talk about brand partnerships. You've worked with huge brands like Adobe, Lego, Amazon, and more. Tell us about working with these brands. What is your strategy for outreach or do these brand deals just land in your lap? Okay. Well, I love talking about this topic. I'm a huge advocate for creative entrepreneurial education, which is why I love what you do with Girl Gang Craft. And I just could talk about it all day, but I won't. I'll just talk about it for a short amount of time. So I could too. So let's do it. (laughs) I love working with brands because I find that, I mean, it's actually been all I do really. I barely ever work with private individual clients on like a sort of more art commission basis. I don't really do that. So I've always worked with brands and I really love working with big brands for many reasons. But I think the main one is that a lot of the time the budgets are a lot higher, you'd hope. So you really can get super creative and imaginative with what you're doing for them. So if you get a client that has a super amazing budget, 
because handmade obviously takes a long time and it's very laborious, labor intensive, you know, I'm not cheap. So I know what I'm worth and I want to charge that. So it's great when you can match up with a big brand like Adobe, for example, they've been a dream to work with, as you can attest to, where they're just like, here's the money, here's the budget, go and do with it, be as creative as you want. And you can really re- fully realize these incredible ideas. And then it's also so exciting and a thrill for me, I guess, more on the egotistical side of getting to see my work published in big ways, like out in public, in a shop, on a major campaign that you can see across the world, things like that. So I love that thrill of it. I also love being on set. That's one of my most favorite things of all time. And I find that it's usually working with these big brands that get me able to actually be on a set. So I feel like I just got confused then about what you were asking, but okay. So it's just brand partnerships are my bread and butter. And I didn't really call them brand partnerships until you actually said, Oh, you do so many brand partnerships. And I was like, no, I don't. And then I realized that my, what I call client work is actually called brand partnerships. I don't know the lingo. I'm not as cool as you. (laughs) Yeah. I just find it really enjoyable. And it's, yeah, obviously it takes a little bit more a different approach, I guess, to putting yourself out there as a retail business or as someone that produces art commissions for others. It requires a little bit more strategy, I guess, and planning to get in front of these big companies because they are so big. So yeah, it's a different ball. How do you get in front of these companies? Well, Phoebe, I'd love to tell you. I have kind of like a three-tiered approach to how I get on their radar, I guess, for the first time. So the first thing I do, and this has changed a lot over the years, obviously, with the rise of social media and how accessible it is to just like slip into someone's DMs. So I usually try to like, and I'm doing this in inverted commas for those that can't see, like make friends with someone from the brand on Instagram. So it's usually whoever does their social media. And I find that a lot of the time, the marketing department of brands are usually so connected with the art department anyway. So I try to just, you know, I follow them on Instagram. I comment on all the stuff in a genuine way. I don't just spam them all with love this or like some kind of emoji. I actually say, oh, I love the way you used that color or that material or whatever in your latest campaign. And I try to really create an authentic connection via Instagram as my first point of call, I guess. And that kind of warms them up so that they kind of see me popping up a lot and they know they can kind of get to know who I am. In a good dream world, they would follow me, I would follow them. We might start chatting in the DMs about stuff. I might, you know, respond to their story rather than comment on a post so that I open that line of communication into a more personal setting. So that's what I do first. And then once I feel like I've kind of got their attention, I can't say how long that could be. It just depends who the brand is, how active they are, with personal DMing and stuff on Instagram. I will also just on a side note say that a lot of big brands work, they don't actually do their own socials or their own outreach. They have an agency, like a PR agency or an advertising or a creative agency that's doing that for them. So sometimes if you can work out who that is, you can then follow the agency instead because that's a direct in. So the way I find out how that works is I read a lot of, uh, I don't know if they, this might not be great advice for people in the States because I'm not sure of the landscape there, but we have this kind of like advertising industry bulletin website. It's kind of a blog and it, it's like, it provides industry updates of latest brand campaigns that have come out. And it always lists the agency responsible, the photographer, the whoever did the styling and things like that. So you can kind of say, oh, okay, XYZ agency worked on that Lego campaign. I'm going to see if I can slide into the DMs of of them. You know what I mean? So once I felt like I have built up some kind of rapport with whoever it is on the other end of the, on the phone of the Instagram, I then ask for an email address. I say, I'd love to chat with you about potentially working together in the future as I think our brands really align and I love what you're doing at the moment with whatever. And so hopefully I can get an email that way. I could get the email anyway, just from searching for it myself, I'm sure. But this is a more personal way because they usually know that they know that I'm coming. So it's not like a cold call. I'm not saying there's anything against cold calling. In fact, one year I actually sent out 
over 150 physical parcels in the mail to agencies that I wanted to work with. It cost a lot of money and it took a lot of time for very little return, but I have cold called in the past and it has it has worked. But I just think in this day and age, you want to be cutting down the, you want to be working smarter, not harder when it comes to outreach. So yeah, so once I've got the email address, I'm then going to have my platform, my opportunity to be able to pitch to these brands. And so when I do that, personally, I want to already have a pitch in mind. So I want to have an idea like these brands, they probably get pitched at all day long. They have multiple campaigns running for different aspects of their business all the time. So you want to make it really easy for them and clear for them to see exactly how they could use you, whether you're a product, whether you're a service, whatever. You want to show them straight off the bat exactly how you would work with them if they gave you that chance. So I've got an example of that. So during COVID, there's this really popular chocolate brand here called Hey Tiger, and I love them. They're Melbourne-based, but they've grown so quickly and they're like, you know, a household name now. They are really well known not only for their delicious chocolate, but also their incredible packaging that's usually really colorful and beautiful. And they collaborate a lot with artists to design the packaging and stuff like that. So I reached out to them during COVID because I just genuinely loved what they did. And they were like on my dream client list that I would one day want to work with. And I said, Hey, I've been making all these DIYs. And this was actually true. I didn't just make this up for the purpose of getting in touch with them, but I've been making all these DIYs, like little gift tags and stuff with your packaging after I finish eating your chocolate. Here's some photos of them. I'd love if there's ever an opportunity for us to maybe collab together on some DIY content for your blog or for your socials or whatever. And they loved it. And so long story short, I did all those things I just told you I did about the outreach. I got the email address, I wrote to them. And then long story short, I just wrapped this huge campaign with them for their Easter range where I actually designed all the packaging and all the packaging turns into DIY projects that you can actually do at home after you've eaten the chocolate. So I gave them, I illustrated to them, and that's actually just launched probably now, actually, by the time this podcast comes out. So I gave them a tangible concept that showed how we could work together and they took, they loved the idea and ran with it. But even if they don't have the capacity for that specific idea, at least you've shown them how your service or your product can work for them and you've done all the hard work for them. You've come up with the concept already. And even if they don't have the capacity to hire you at that time, that's going to be memorable because you actually gave them a physical example of what you could do with them. And they might think of you for something down the line, like they might be thinking down the line, they need, you know, someone who makes DIY projects out of their packaging and because their whole campaign is about, you know, reusing and recycling. And then they'd be like, oh, that girl that sent us that DM all that time ago about that. Let's see if she, she'll she do it. So, yeah, that's kind of my that's my two parts of my three part strategy. Sorry, this is so long. No, this is gold. This is gold. I like to give like actual steps that people can follow when I'm sort of sharing advice because I feel like otherwise it's all a bit airy fairy and you just don't know how you can make that a strategy that will work for you, you know? So then once I've got them as a client or once they're kind of, I guess, like a warm lead, I have a client email bulletin that I send out quarterly. And that's different from my other email marketing that I do to people that I get through Instagram or whatever, just people that are fans of my work. And that's super client facing. It's very industry focused. I'm sharing with them latest jobs that I've done in that quarter. And I'm also writing blog posts that show them, you know, things like five things to consider if you want to include handmade in your campaign or the three top benefits of including something more tactile in your digital campaign or just things that basically just funnel them all into realizing that I'm the perfect person to work with for this. And because I send it out once a quarter, I feel like that's not really spammy. And the reason why I chose once a quarter was because they people usually reassess their budgets, at least in Australia, either like, you know, half yearly or once a quarter they work in three month blocks. So you want to be popping up and reminding them that you exist and you're offering all this cool stuff right at the time where they are working out how to allocate their budget for that quarter. So I find that that works as well. Also, it keeps this sort of friendship and rapport going with these clients, especially clients I've worked with in the past that were for one-off projects. They would respond to my email and be like, oh, so great to see 
that you did all these things. Love that campaign that you did. Really great to hear from you. Yeah, I hope we can work together soon or whatever. So you're just keeping up that friendship, I guess, or that connection. And that's kind of, oh, one other thing that I do that I wanted to mention was like, if I'm having an event or a market stall, or I'm hosting a workshop that's open to the public, for example, I'll send mini press releases out to that list as well and inviting them to come. So a lot of, you know, especially I would send that only to the local ones, but I think the majority of my clients exist in in the city just because of the tactile handmade nature of my things. They're usually like physical objects. So they don't, I often work for people within Melbourne, but yeah, I'll invite them to the market. I'll say, just like mention this code, you can get a discount on whatever you want to buy at the market. If you want to book into this workshop, you can have my mates rates of whatever it is. And that just reminds them as well that I'm there. And because you're offering them something as a VIP, because you've worked together before, they they feel special. And I think, yeah, like maintaining that client relationship, it's not just about what you can get from them, but it's about how you can nurture them once they are your client and keep them on your list. You know, even if you don't work with them again, it's just really good to have strong, positive connections within the industry because they might recommend you to someone else that they know would be perfect to work with. So that's kind of my approach at the moment. <laughs> Long story short. That's, no, it's great. I think all of that is super valuable. So just to recap, finding people on Instagram. So commenting and liking and being genuine, maybe popping into their DMs, responding to stories and asking them personally for their email. Number two is when you get that email, you know, reaching out with like an actual solid pitch and project of what you want to do. And then number three is keeping them updated on your life in some way. I think that last one's really important and is often forgotten. And I kind of think that I want to do that now. I think that's genius. Reaching out quarterly. I mean, Gina, who does our partnerships too, one of those things that she started to integrate is sending out holiday cards. And I thought that was like a really special touch. Actually, I do that Um, every year as well. I hand make a decoration and I send it. It's usually paper craft because it's easier to do that on my Cricut machine. But I, I hand make a Christmas or holiday decoration for every one of my clients that I've worked with in that past year. So that if you are a repeat client of mine, you actually start to build up this collection of like Kitty of Alaska's ornaments and last year it was a paper craft toilet roll that said 2020 on it to commemorate the huge toilet roll fiasco of 2020 that we all experienced so yes I think that's really special and you know what that at that point that's just a huge thank you for their time that year you're not trying to sell anything to them you are just showing them that you genuinely appreciate that connection that you made and you know putting their trust and finances in in you and and choosing to work with you that year. So that's just a really nice way to reward them. So it's really cool that you do that as well. Lovely. Love that. Love the toilet paper rolls, ornaments, genius. Okay. Do you want to talk a little bit about like how your job shifted before and during COVID? Yeah, definitely. Last year was really huge in terms for me of shifting at pivoting. I know you, I listened to, I think it was like your last podcast or your last Instagram story where you were like, we're all just sick of using the word pivot, but honestly, what other word are we going to use to describe the thing that a lot of us had to do last year? So I had to pivot a lot. And I also learned a lot about myself and (laughs) what was working for me and what wasn't working for me in the way that I'm structuring my career. So even though it was a hectic and quite stressful and scary year it was also really at the end of it it was also really uplifting and I'm just so filled with motivation and drive and ambition and inspiration now as a result so there was a silver lining after all which is good (laughs) I definitely didn't feel like that at all you know in June last year where I was just wondering why tumbleweeds were blowing through my career yes so basically as I said earlier I do a lot of physical prop making and that It changes every year depending on industry trends and what's cool and what's not. But, you know, across the board over the last 11 years, prop or installation design has been a huge component of my business. And so obviously with COVID happening, there's no photo shoots, no one's doing events, no one's doing installations anywhere. There's no in-store workshop opportunities. There's nothing like that. So that prop side of everything just died in a ditch. And I kind of saw it coming, but it was still really confronting because I 
had been gearing my entire career focus into prop design. I was actually thinking of studying my master's in production design so that I could become more, I could expand more into maybe film and television and learn more about building I was just going to say real props, but I'm not going to say that because that is talking my skills down. But, you know, just building things with wood and I do that a little bit, but I'm definitely not. That's not my area of speciality. So I was gearing everything towards it. I'd written this, you know, this five-year plan of how I wanted to move to LA and start working in the entertainment industry more and, you know, shift it up from being a content creator and, a you know, maybe even make my own agency. Like I had all these plans, but obviously they changed. And so I tried to think about when everything was just going under, I tried to think about what other aspects of my business could I still, you know, focus on and nurture instead. And I feel like you guys did that too, with assessing sort of what your, what you could take from it all and do instead. So like you were saying, you don't do events, you didn't do events, but you leaned more into the online education realm. And that's kind of what I did as well. I was like, okay, I do a lot of content creation that can be done from home. A lot of it ends up on social media. All of it ends up on social media or blogs or online anyway. So how about I lean more into that side of things? I do love the workshop stuff still, but how about I use this new thing called Zoom that everyone's using and start teaching some workshops online instead, especially during a time when everyone's just really craving attention and connection with other people because they're locked inside. So I did pivot to a fully digital service offering. And that's so strange for me because I work in a tactile handmade space. And so the idea of it all being digital all of a sudden was so weird to wrap my head around. But in actual fact, was it was quite a seamless transition. So I... I started off by creating some really, really cheap, probably too cheap, affordable little content packages for and putting that out there for brands saying, you know, do you need to keep things afloat during COVID when you can't have people come into your shop or you can't, you know, like host events and stuff? How about I create these different things for you that you can use on social media or on your blog to entertain and delight your customers while they can't experience your business in person. So I started doing a bunch of those kinds of things. And that kind of, I think the more you put out work that you want to be hired for, the more that's the kind of work that people will seek you out for. It's just the way that the universe works. And so I got started to get commissions for more content creation stuff coming out of that pivot that I tried to make as public as possible. And I started a little craft club for people to do craft workshops with me on Zoom every month. And that really worked. And I was so petrified at first because the design side was what I thought that I should be trying to, you know, like make even bigger and better. And to lose that all of a sudden was so confronting because I was faced with this reality of like, who am I? (laughs) That sounds so lame, but you know, like, who am I as a maker now that I don't have props? I thought that props was my main thing. But to be honest on reflection, craft-based prop design is an extremely relentless thing to do. It's I just work for myself. Sometimes if the client has budget, I have assistants come and help me. But a lot of the time it's literally me in my studio making a life-size donkey pinata with two days until the shoot having been commissioned to do that two days before the shoot. It's really, I think a lot of the time with commercial design clients and no shade to them, but it's just the culture. Like they're used to hiring prop stylists who can just go down to the shop or whatever and buy. That sounds really demeaning to prop stylists. I'm not trying to say that they, what they do isn't important, but you know, they source their stuff that's readily, that's already made. So the budgets for props on a shoot are usually really small because they just are budgeting for the fact that you're going to buy a ready-made object. Whereas for me, I need a bigger budget because I'm making it all by hand and it takes a long time, but usually the prop stylist is one of the last people to be called in, in the process of designing a campaign. So I would get calls, you know, five days out from a shoot saying we need 30 gigantic handmade paper craft set pieces. Can you do it? And I'd obviously say yes, because although this year boundaries is one of my major (laughs) goals for my business and myself. So I'd be up all night, literally for 10 days and nights, five days and nights, 
when everybody else was getting their beauty sleep and stuff, I would just be slogging away, trying to make these things and really driving myself to the state of burnout. And I did burn out for a long time and it was really scary. So that all of a sudden, that type of working that I was really hesitant to accept wasn't working for me because I wanted it so badly, that fell away. And I was able to see so clearly how to work smarter, not harder. And that side of things wasn't serving me anymore. And I'm not saying that I'm never going to make props again because I love it, but I definitely have all these other things to focus on now that can bring me, you know, satisfaction and enjoyment as a designer that don't have to be prop making. So I was able to let some stuff go to embrace other things. So that's basically what happened. And now it's, I think it's worked out because I'm really focused and really excited. Do you see yourself like going back to like more on set stuff, more prop stuff on set? I definitely would love to. I mean, I did actually go on set last week for that chocolate shoot that I was talking to you about, but I feel like that experience and realizing how hard that had been on me physically and mentally made me realize that I would definitely be more picky about the kinds of prop jobs that I would say yes to now. And I would definitely have set really strict boundaries in place to protect my own well-being and also really push back hard on tight timeframes and budgets. Yeah. We'll see. Yes. We'll see how long this we mentality lasts. <laughs> we deserve time to make things and to get things together. Just a little time would be nice, you know? <laughs> None of this last minute. I appreciate that your shoot is two days from now, but honestly, this job takes two months and I would really just love, you know, just like one extra day so that I don't have to stay up all night for three whole days and not eat anything except for like raisins that I find behind my computer. So that'd be great. <laughs> Where is the first place you're going? after COVID settles and all of this is is out. Well, Phoebe, obviously I'm coming to visit you. That's the first thing I'm doing. Um, (laughs) But really, actually, I had this plan in place that I wanted to instigate this year where I take one or two months sabbatical every year to travel to the US. And I say the US because that's where the majority of my creative friends live to just do fun and creatively fulfilling creative projects and collaborate with my friends without there having to be a paid job opportunity involved. I just want to come over, spend a huge block of time just collaborating and making awesome out there projects and things for fun with my creative friends and, and colleagues overseas. And yeah, just refresh and then come back and tackle the rest of the year. So that's definitely something that I will be doing. I'd love to go to Japan as well. Haven't been. We were planning to go, but we couldn't, obviously. And I wouldn't say no to a trip back to Mexico because I love it so much. So that's where I'll be as soon as we're allowed in an airport, let alone on a plane, let alone out of our house, you know? So yeah. I miss doing things, anything. (laughs) I would love to do, you know, a conference with you. I mean, at some point, that would be nice. Go to a conference. (laughs) It would be so fun. Think of all the margaritas that we've been racking up that we need to like. The tally of margaritas that we need to drink together (laughs) is getting very long. So we need to remedy this ASAP. Uh, Seriously. Okay, what advice do you have for creatives who are struggling to keep their creative practice Okay, well, I guess this is a two-parter. So what advice do you have for creatives who are just struggling creatively? And then also any advice for people who want to make money doing their creative practice? Okay. So for people that are struggling creatively, it's okay. I feel you. (laughs) We have all been there. And if this past year is anything to go by, you know... It's no wonder that we're struggling creatively right now because the world is insane. So I think just be gentle on yourself. Your creativity isn't going anywhere. And I feel like there's this rush all the time that you need to be constantly kicking goals and achieving and, you know, ticking off that that next accomplishment that's so impressive that everyone's going to be in awe of you. And that's such a damaging and dangerous way to think about about things and and mindset to get in because you if you're feeling 
not great mentally because of whatever factors are happening around. And as we know, they can be factors completely out of your control these days. Your your creative spark can't be firing constantly. Also, it can't be firing constantly anyway, because we're humans and we go through lots of ups and downs. And if you're anything like me, your creativity is directly linked to how good you're feeling mentally. If I'm feeling really crap, I can't produce new ideas because it's a direct relationship. So be kind to yourself. It's okay. Take time off. It doesn't mean that you're going to miss out. And even though there's this whole FOMO thing that I know is really easy to get stuck into, it doesn't mean you're going to miss out on opportunities. It doesn't mean there's not going to be a place for you in the successful creative realm, whatever success means anyway. There's room on the ladder for everybody. Everyone's journey happens at a different pace. And if 2020 taught us anything, it's that self-care and well-being needs to come first because if you don't feel great like that, you're not going to be able to be your most creative and authentic self. And that's the thing that brands and you know clients want to work with you for, that you have an authentic and enthusiastic and vibrant voice. And you can't be that way if your brain is not firing the way it should. So just rest and do what you need to do to recharge and feel okay about it because everyone's doing it too they might not be saying it on instagram also don't use this is a given but don't use instagram as your like measure of the world it's just not just don't it's not reality it's so hard because me personally my business has been my creative outlet but i haven't like i painted one painting last year i tried and i tried to get into like punch needle I like have so much yarn that I like did not break into. I'm like painting like plant pots right there. But like, it's so hard for me after work to like want to create for fun. And I'm just trying to be patient with myself. And that's exactly what you should be doing. I mean, anytime something becomes a job, it takes a little bit of joy out of doing it for fun. I mean, I never craft for myself anymore because I just think, this is this is really bad, but I just think, oh, I could be using that time to like do it for my business instead. So just that's okay. Like you might have, I don't know, even if it's just blocking out half an hour a day to just be, just sit in your craft room or your studio or something. And even if you don't do anything, maybe you look through an old book that used to inspire you or don't look on the internet. <laughs> maybe you just have a bunch of paper scraps in front of you and you just move them around on your on your cutting mat and see what happens even just the act of allowing yourself a designated block of time to create if you want maybe that is enough to help you just light that spark again but if you don't feel it at all just that's fine just watch trash tv and eat chocolate like me (laughs) yes please okay so then the second part of the question so what advice do you have for creatives who want to start making money doing their creative I think that the first thing to do is just start putting your work out there. Don't worry too much about having, in the early days, don't worry too much about having a fully realized brand from the get-go before you begin because you might never feel ready then. You know, you might not have a logo, you might not have a business name, you might not have all of your, you know, platform set up, your e-newsletter set up or anything. Just choose somewhere that you like to share things with, like if it's Instagram for you, or it could be Pinterest or whatever it is for you, maybe it's not anything online and just start putting your work out there. The rest can follow as you grow and learn what kind of, you know, business or brand thing you or service you want to have. So I think just begin. It sounds super basic, but I think a lot of us hold back on putting ourselves out there because we feel like we need to be fully perfect or look fully professional before we do so. But like I said, you you might be waiting for a long time then because we, we are all really hard on ourselves and maybe we'd never be ready. So that's what I would say. If you do feel like you're ready to start firming up the structure of what you want your offering to look like, I would highly suggest doing a Girl Gang Craft course because <laughs> she didn't pay me to say this, I promise. You know, educate yourself, do a lot of short courses. They're so accessible. You offer so many through Girl Gang Craft and, you know, if you're not, Actually, you offer them online, so you could take them anywhere. So yeah, just start to pick things that you think may be things you that you might need help with. Like I took one of your courses and because I needed to learn more about how to grow my email newsletter list and that was really useful for me and that was 10 years in. 
to having an actual business. So there's always room to learn. Pick a few things that you think you'd like to do first. Don't try to do it all at once because you'll just get overwhelmed. So maybe just say, okay, I want to learn more how to use Instagram to sell my product that I've been making for a couple of months, you know, on the down low. Start small. No one's journey is the same. I said this before. And you're on your own path. So try not to look at other people who seem to be speeding ahead or achieving all this stuff because your journey is very unique and there's always room for you. It's not not like you're going to get locked out if you don't move at the pace of other people. I always think that slow and steady is best and that really gives you enough time to reflect on what you're offering, how you want to be as a business or brand and allows you to sort of like grow, I guess, organically without leaping onto the scene, having a million followers and being this fully fledged business with the most perfect Instagram feed and all that stuff. Because that's like, what a lot of pressure to put on yourself, you know? So yeah. A hundred percent. And thanks for, you know, advertising for us. (laughs) Anytime. Just tell me what to say. I'll say it. But honestly, (laughs) I wouldn't say it if I didn't actually think that your courses were great. I promise. Okay, well, this has been amazing, Kitya. Do you want to tell the listeners where they can find you? Sure. So I am at Kitya Palaskis on Instagram. And if you're into vintage, I have a new vintage side business. At the moment, it's just market-based in Melbourne, but I'm planning to go online soon. And that's called Dream Home Vintage. So that's at dream.home.vintage. And I guess from my Instagram, you can find me by clicking on my links. You'll find my website, my YouTube channel, which is new, and a bunch of other things on there as well. But I guess Instagram's a good jumping off point for all of that stuff. Yay. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Go follow Kitia. Her stuff is like her Instagram is just so colorful and exciting. And obviously, you know, if you've listened to this episode that she's just like amazing human and just like a dollop of sunshine. She's, you know, in summer right now while we're here in winter in in the States. Anyways, yes. Thank you so much, Kitya. I just need to shout out to my my new 90s Lycra denim print dress that I wore, especially for this interview. You can give us a twirl if you'd like. So we're going to give a twirl. I'll give you a little twirl. Make sure you tune into the YouTube (laughs) of whatever this platform is to see the dress. Here it is. Look at it. So good. So good. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure to be here with you and to catch up in this way. Such a pleasure. And we'll have to see your wedding dress when it's all ready. If I get it done. We might not be getting married for like 10 years at this point. It's taken me a long time, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll wait. Okay, thank you, Katia. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Flowdesk. It is so important to reach your customers in their own inbox. I think creatives get so focused on social media. I mean, we love social as creatives, right? It is pretty, it is community-oriented, and it seems to make sales. Fine. Great. However, social media is not your whole business. You want to get followers off your platform and onto your website so they convert. Customers are more likely to take action in their own inbox. Plus, that engagement rate is much higher in the inbox than it is on people seeing your content on social. So instead of being so Insta-focused, think about gathering emails. Right now, it is so important to be driving traffic to your email list so that you can convert followers into those customers. If you don't have a newsletter, start one right now. We switched to Flowdesk last year and we are obsessed because the templates are gorgeous, easy to use, and it's really easy to make automated emails and funnels. We have you with 50% off for life on Flowdesk, so it's only $19 a month. It's a solid choice. Head to bit.ly slash GGC Flowdesk and Flowdesk is SF based and female run. So get started on that list to help make your biz legit. Thank you so much for listening to the Girl Gang Craft podcast. Head to girlgangcraft.com slash podcast for show notes and more. See you next time.